Today's TribCast is presented by AT&T. AT&T was selected by FirstNet to build and manage America's first nationwide public safety broadband network dedicated to first responders. Learn more at about.att.com. Also, LBJ School's 14-month Executive Master in Public Leadership Program. Leadership training for a new generation. Learn more at empl.lbj.utexas.edu. Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, ah, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are Texas guys Texas talking, This is Marty McKellips, Regional Executive for the American Red Cross serving Central and South Texas. If you'd like to help the tens of thousands of Texans displaced by this terrible storm, Harvey, there's a simple way to go about it. Text the word Harvey to 90999 to make a $10 gift, or visit redcross.org and make a gift of any size. Texans are in need, so please step up and help. Thank you. And now, enjoy this week's TribCast with your host, Patrick Svitek. Thank you. This is Patrick Svitek here with the TribCast for the 30th of August. I'm filling in for Emily Ramshaw, and I'm joined by political editor Aman Bathija. Hello. Reporter Brandon Formby. Hi. And another reporter, Jim Malowitz. Howdy. Before we begin, just a reminder to our Facebook audience that you can weigh in with questions at any time, and we'll uh, try to do our best to answer them. So the, the state has been consumed by the, the response to Hurricane Harvey. It uh, made landfall Friday near Corpus Christi as a, a Category 4 storm. Uh, Brandon, I know that you were out on the road, as were some of our other reporters seeing this. Uh, you know, just generally speaking, five days later, how is the state doing? Is this, is this response uh, been up to snuff? I know that, that the weather, inclement weather is still underway, but how's the state been doing so far? I don't know. I think it is probably way too soon to to start weighing in on that because it is something that's still playing out um, and it's gonna play out for for months if not years right I, I, you know <laughs> governor abbott's holding a news conference right now he said the worst is, is yet to come uh, for rain in southeast texas so it seems like it, it, it really is premature in some ways to begin evaluating how individuals are doing or how the state is doing but it, it does seem like a steady response so far i mean i, I think there hasn't there hasn't been any chaos necessarily um, chaos with the response. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know how you judge that. Um, I, I, responding to chaos. I feel sure. like Katrina is kind of that <laughs> benchmark that people look at. Like, are we as bad as that? Are we, is the state kind of fault, you know, creating a situation that's anything like that? And I think so far that we're not anywhere near that. Houston seems to be doing a lot better than New Orleans was mm-hmm. at its well, worst. Well, Brandon, let's take a step back. What exactly were you seeing when you were out there and, and when were you out there? Um, I went uh, down Thursday night. Um, I was in Corpus Christi on Friday um, leading up to the the storm hitting uh, land um, and talked to people as they were um, voluntarily leaving Corpus Christi. Um, A lot of people stayed. Um, They were never under a mandatory evacuation order. Um, And then um, after the storm hit on um, Friday night, um, I went into Aransas County, which is, you know, where Harvey um, struck as a Category 4 um, and spent Saturday um, just driving around there, driving around uh, Rockport. Um, and it was, I mean, it was devastated. It wasn't the kind of, I mean, the town wasn't flattened. Um, it, there were like pockets of buildings that, you know, were 
um, walls were missing, windows blown out, or just, you know, buildings, com houses completely torn down. And then there would be some that were, you know, still standing, um, but just debris everywhere. Um, and just the power lines, just basic infrastructure, just completely destroyed. We, we had the president visit yesterday, and um, it was pretty clear that he wanted to get out here as soon as he could. He went to, to Corpus Christi, and he went to, to Austin, where he saw the, the emergency operations center. Uh, he's expected to come back this weekend to another part of Texas, probably southeast Texas. You know, this is the first major natural disaster that's happened on his watch. You know, what did you guys make of his trip yesterday from from what you saw from the our coverage and other coverage? I saw a lot of people noting that he didn't seem to express any direct sympathy for the victims. It was a lot of it just, you know, cheerleading the response, but not really showing a lot of sympathy. And uh, it seemed like some of the quotes I saw from his appearance, um, just remarking at the, uh, obviously at, at, at the power of, of, of the storm and, and, and how epic the flooding was, almost seemed to echo the way he tweets about it and other things sometimes, just, you know, everything, exclamation po points, everything, the biggest, um, but you know, he he, he definitely did uh, uh, herald uh, the responders and 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 all that and, and pledge support. So so that was there, but yeah, just not a lot of um, not a lot of uh, human emotions. Yeah, I was gonna ask you, Brandon, Brand, as someone who saw the the wreckage firsthand, do you think that what he said yesterday was consistent with what people in those those parts of the state wanted to hear? I mean, honestly, I don't. There are people, you know, still stuck in Houston. People still, you know waiting or swimming or take, you know finding boats to get out I don't think they at this point really care what the president says about what the federal government's going to do they're just trying to get to dry land Patrick you were with Trump when, yeah. during the Austin leg of the trip was that the part where he was making this strange comment about the name of the storm yeah, he was uh, at a briefing with state officials at the Emergency Operations Center in Austin, and he uh, said something to the effect of, uh, you know, Harvey, it sounds like such an innocent name, but it's not innocent. It's not innocent. And it's kind of a, you know, it was one of uh, several, I think, awkward moments he had yesterday, whether, whether it was in Corpus Christi, where he remarked on the, he marveled at the turnout for himself at a, a firehouse that he was visiting and having a roundtable with state officials at. And then in Austin, there were some, some remarks that uh, I would just describe it as awkward and you know like you guys said i mean i think he was effective in coming here and, and reassuring people that the coordination between the state level and the federal level um you know has been proceeding successfully um but i, I don't think that he came and necessarily sh you know uh you know showed a lot of empathy or, or compassion um for the people who've been affected by this and you know he's going to get another chance i think on on uh this weekend when he returns uh to maybe learn from uh i don't want to call them mistakes but what this past trip to corpus christian austin was lacking maybe he can make up for it on on over the weekend yeah. and, and i wonder too you know people who are parsing his words and and looking at his actions re really closely i guess there's probably even a debate among um his supporters and, and those who don't support him is is you normally see empathy um, and compassion from a, a president, but maybe there are folks out there who don't crave that. Maybe they just want someone to trumpet the response and you know reassure them in, in that way. Um, so I guess it's uh, maybe there's even a debate to be had at this point in 2017 about uh, uh, the value of compassion from a president, um, but it mm. definitely didn't seem to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Another official who's been, you know, front and center here in Texas has been Governor Greg Abbott. Uh, he was with Trump, uh, I think, more than any other official throughout the day yesterday. Abbott's been holding daily news conferences, uh, becoming very familiar to, to people 
not just in Texas, but far outside of Texas who are watching, uh, you know, from other states. How's he been doing? I mean, how do we assess his performance so far? I think he's kind of done, he's, he's done enough to kind of show he's, you know, very focused on this and trying to get the state through it without seeming like, you know, he's, this is his moment in the spotlight kind of mm-hmm. uh, reaction. And all, I think the only thing where he kind of, I don't even know if I'd call this a misstep. It was just, it was a crazy time. But right before the hurricane came, he, uh, he seemed to kind of be giving a different message than Houston officials were about evacuation. Um, and it, Absolutely I, seemed to be, yeah. Like, well, well, and I'm trying to remember, what did he exactly say? I think he just said, if you live in Houston, maybe I would leave if I was in Houston. Yeah, basically. like he said, you know, I if I lived in Houston, which I have before, you know, I would have left. Um, and that was before the storm hit as, um, you know, Mayor Sylvester Turner, you know, was already defending um, you know, the decision not to call a mandatory evacuation. And I believe he even went as far as, I think there were some quotes later saying that even if you don't face a mandatory evacuation, like consider leaving, um, which, yeah, is it, just interesting. And, and I know that uh, well, well, you had talked to um, a woman in League City who said it was just kind of absurd and confusing to just hear all that, like the kind of the contradiction from from various officials. Yeah, she was really frustrated and, you know, said that um, after the fact, you know, as neighborhoods were flooding, said that um, she wished she had left Um, and that one of the reasons she didn't is because there was kind of like this conflicting, you know, message. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone who did voluntarily, voluntarily leave if they regret it now. Yeah, it's so hard to because t- Houston officials, I know they're defending it, and part of their defense is if we had done a mandatory evacuation, we could have had our highways completely jammed with cars as a hurricane was coming to the city. Which is what happened in in two thousand five, right? Right. Just a little history for our our listeners. And more people died in Rita from the evacuation than from the actual hurricane in Texas. Right. Right. And so it seemed like for Abbott that was a bit uh, of uh, you know a mistake early on, mm-hmm. um, but you know it seemed uh, you know now they're you know, trying to put that behind them. And I think he's successfully moved forward as, you know, uh, uh, you know, checking all the boxes, I think, that you need, you know, at the bare minimum that you need to be as a state leader in a time like this, being uh, calm, measured, visible, uh, engaged. Um, he's been all over. In addition to having daily press conferences, I think he's, he's been doing all these media appearances, um, national media appearances. So it seems like he's he's on top of it, despite that, that early, uh, you know, mistake of, of offering a conflicting message on evacuation. And, and, and I would add, too, on the evacuation front, um, he's also sort of sounded the right notes um, as more and more people are debating um, should there have been a mandatory evacuation or not, and we've, we've been reporting on it. And then uh, as, as he's asked, um, as he's been asked uh, in more recent days, he said it's it's not time to second-guess um, uh Mayor Turner's decision, you know, this is time to, to band together. So he's really like the way he's responded to those questions since then um, has, has probably um, mm-hmm. sounded the right note. Yeah, there been, I think it was Sean Hannity he was on where it almost was like Hannity was, go- I think it was Hannity, was like almost goading him to go after Turner or at least criticize right. him and just Abbott wouldn't take the bait. Right, right. Well, well, speaking of recent history in Houston, we did a, the Tribune and ProPublica did a story last year about how the city, which is growing very quickly, would not be ready for the next, uh, potentially not ready for the next big storm. Have we have we seen that borne out by by Harvey? Uh, yes and no. Uh, the first, this was two projects that we uh, did at the Tribune, uh, Hell and High Water, which came out, la- both of them came out last year, uh, Hell and High Water and then Boomtown, Floodtown. And Helen High Water was specifically about a Category 5 hurricane hitting Houston directly. So that was not this. But it 
did touch on a lot of issues that we are seeing play out now, just about the city was not ready for this kind of massive storm. Yeah, and, and then Boomtown, Floodtown um, was uh, more specifically looking at um, Houston's development or sort of and, and lack of zoning and um, sort of the, the sprawling nature of the town and um, how it was able to handle um, really big floodwaters. And so I think that project would probably responded um, or I don't know if it was a predictor, but th that, that project was, was even more relevant to a storm like this where it was just like that constant rainstorm hanging over the city and uh, just how it has completely swamped this huge city and all this energy infrastructure and, and, and all that. So um, it seems like that reporting is really bearing out now or it's like we have this vivid example of how unchecked development is you know, struggling to, to handle these you know, massive waters. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of what was, you know, written about and things that, you know, they that article shows they could have done, officials could have done that didn't, I mean, is, I mean, it's definitely playing out um, just from development patterns. I mean, a big part of it is, um, you know, it, it found that officials um, are using historical weather and climate data um, to plan for, um, you know, weather events and to kind of plan for development. Um, when um, climate change has kind of, you know, altered the kinds of storms and the frequency of storms that um, Texas and, and Houston in particular get, um, a lot of development, a lot of like floodplains and everything, they're, um, you know, built to withstand 100-year floods, um, which, you know, is basically like a flood that has a 1% chance of happening, you know, in a, any given year. Um, but you look um, just at, you know, the last couple of years, you know, Houston has seen three major catastrophic um, rain events in three years. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of showing that um, these things aren't really that rare anymore. Right. And, and am I right? Is this one a, a one in a thousand year flood now? Is that what we're talking about? I mean, I know it's like definitely above one in a in 500 in, in 500 the last us i was above yeah. one in 500 yeah i mean it yeah, may so. already be at one in a thousand but, but yeah it's, it was like well above one in 500 right I think. we have some questions coming in from facebook donna wants to know uh, this seems like a good time to go into the rainy day fund what options does the governor have will another special be needed to tap into it have uh, we gotten any early indications about this uh well so first off there's been a lot of questions about this and part of it is because it's called the rainy day fund but that's just that's <laughs> just what um, yeah that's just the nickname. Uh, it's called the Economic Stabilization Fund, uh, and it has over I think it's over ten billion dollars at this point, right? Yeah, Jim? yeah, yeah. Um, projected to at least yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, it comes from oil revenue, and so before about ten years ago, it had less than a billion dollars, and it's really grown because of the oil drilling boom. So part of the issue is it's not like this is a constantly refilling fund. It's if the oil boom doesn't come back in a very significant way like it did in the past then we're never going to see this kind of money in the fund again. And so there's the question of, if we tap it, uh, do we? how much do we spend and how much do we leave in for the future? Uh, it, it is a really good question. And, and you can also, um, um, we're, we're going to do a text explainer um, about this on, on Friday, so, so y'all can read that. But um, it, it is interesting to know, you know, most of the time that it has been tapped over the years has been for other projects like long-term infrastructure type needs. But it, but it has been used to either... Um, provide a disaster assistance or repay disaster assistance a couple of times. I think the first time was in 2013. There was like $6.4 million tapped. And then um, in 2011, um, there, there was also some repayment to a, a 
different agencies after they responded. Or sorry, it was, 20, it was 2013 um, repaying some uh, agencies after they responded to the 2011 um, Bastrop fires. Right. Um, so, so there is a, a precedent for, for using this. Yeah. But um, I, I don't believe in any case it was sort of an immediate thing where they called a special session. But yeah, um, but they would need to call one right. to, to yeah. tap the fund. I mean, for you know, to try to get back to Donna's question, I think it's just too early to tell at this point what the uh, level vehicle and method of state financial assistance is going to be considering the storm is still underway in, yeah. in some parts of the state. Maybe a week from now, we'll have a little more insight into what that's, what shape that's going to take. But I think one thing you'll see is uh, state officials will be wanting to see what the federal government is giving before they tap the fund. Right. Uh, yeah. they, they don't, they're not going to want to... S- they're not going to start going to their fund until they have a real good sense of how many billions of dollars, and I can't imagine yeah. it's not going to be billions of dollars that the federal government's going to put towards yeah. recovery. And, and that brings us to one, and before we move on from, from Harvey, that brings us to one of the more political storylines that's come out of this storm, uh, which is that some members of, of Republican members of Congress from Texas have been taking heat uh, from their, their counterparts uh, in the Northeast for voting against uh, Sandy Aid years ago and now seeking uh, federal aid uh, for Harvey. Is, is this a, a legitimate criticism at this? at this point probably <laughs> uh, certainly a fair question well, yeah um <laughs> well, well, well i think so and I, and I know that the line coming out of some of the texas republicans who opposed sandy aid was was that uh, the bill was loaded with pork and things mm-hmm. like that that didn't directly respond to sandy but um, i think some of the fact checks on that have have kind of shown yeah. that to be um, at least misleading criticism a, a lot of the aid um if it didn't specifically pay for to for to rebuild parts of, of, of New York or other uh, affected areas. Uh, um, it paid to rebuild uh, areas further down along the coast that were, were also hit by Sandy that just weren't talked about as much. And then also uh, there was aid to help shore up infrastructure and um, you know against um, these types of storms that are becoming more um, likely due to climate change. So there were things that uh, some of these Republicans wrote off as, as not relevant that um, a lot of people would say were completely relevant to, to yeah. this type of storm. Yeah. Our Abby Livingston had a great story about this and about how, you know, members of Congress from the Northeast, you know, have over the past years, um, you know, mentally or otherwise just kept a kind of a list of the Texas Republicans uh, who voted against this. And they knew that eventually there'd be a, you know, a comeuppance. Um, I think, you know, regardless of whether this criticism is fair or not, it means that all eyes are going to be on people like Senator Cruz and Senator Cornyn as this aid package is crafted in Congress. Um, the, 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 you know, the bar is going to be very set very high for this aid package to ensure that there's no, no alleged pork in it. And if there is, I mean, this storyline is going to you know, have, continue to have legs. Yeah. And you know, Congress is coming back next week, and there's a debt ceiling issue. There's um, a flood insurance program, which I guess you could right. say is related to this, but there's all these other things on the agenda that could potentially they could wrap Harvey aid in with that, and it's yeah we'll have to see if the Texas delegation every all but one Republican voted against Sandy aid uh, from the Texas delegation, so it, they're all going to kind of have to be asked: Are yeah. do you think this bill is uh, you know a more clean bill, a more fair bill, or are you only voting for this because now Texas is the one in the in the in the spotlight? Right, exactly. All right, moving on just a little bit from Harvey. Um, we had a few other stories uh, here in, in Texas in the news this week. Uh, one of them involved uh, redistricting litigation, the just never-ending uh, case that we've been following. Um, Jim, what, what happened this week as it relates to that case? Um, yeah, we, we had a, um, a temporary stay issued on a, um, a ruling that had uh, invalidated two congressional districts. Um, the ruling came 
earlier this month um, uh, invalidating a, a congressional district 35 that's that's Doggett's and a congressional district 27 that's uh, Ferenthold's and uh, there had been the order to redraw that map um, and uh, we're go we have a scheduled hearing on September 5th um, where they're going to talk about that redrawing and now it's unclear uh, what's going to happen there because um, uh, Justice Alito um, by himself um, issued this temporary stay that said uh, he basically wanted more information from the uh, minority group suing the state on this. Um, so it's it's not necessarily one of those where where it completely you know leaves um, Texas off the hook for, for redrawing. He just kind of wants more information, and it's just kind of unclear at this point uh, whether uh, uh, my colleague and I, uh, uh, Alexa and I, are going to be in San Antonio on September <laughs> 5th or not. We, we've, we've called the court to ask about that, that hearing, and they haven't really gotten back to us. Um, so, so yeah, so it just kind of like cast even... It was just like a, a new question mark in this like long, never-ending case that's al already confusing, and we we you know it it it, beg it's, it still begs the question like are the 2018 elections going to be delayed? It just makes it even yeah. more confusing. Yeah, that was going to be my other question yeah. was I mean are we getting any closer to having any clarity on what impact all this litigation is going to have on the the timing of the 2018 uh, primaries? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> all right, moving um, on. <laughs> well, well, and and I mean if. Say, if the Supreme Court were to uh, put a more um, uh, long-lasting injunction um, on on this um, congressional ruling, and, and then if they did the same thing on, on, the, on the House um, maps too, you know, you know the House is um, also has um, nine nine invalidated districts. Um, if the Supreme Court stepped in, it, it could make it a little bit easier, and you know, it pause the ruling, and then we'd use the same maps again for the fourth election cycle. Um, but uh, if not, it's going to be really um, tight uh, in terms of like the, the court hearing arguments on, on, on the new maps and then actually issuing a ruling uh, when the, the county clerks want one, which is uh, October um, mm -hmm. or before October. Is there a kind of cutoff date this fall or this winter uh, for when we would need to know whether the primaries would be delayed? Um, yeah, it's probably sometime in, in early October. Um, and I'm trying to remember the exact wow, date. That's, yeah, that's so because, early. Because, well, that, that's, that's the date that... Um, the county clerks were saying at least that they um and again i can't remember which day in october but that they needed information so they could send out uh, the voter registration cards um with, with all the correct information people need to um, know what districts they're in yeah yeah so i mean and i don't know it is, ma ma maybe it's early. possible that if you went past their deadline like maybe there's some leeway in there but it's 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 really confusing and um i mean uh, early voting doesn't yeah. start till what february right uh, part of it is also when yeah. the candidates start right. filing, which is December. Yeah, oh, okay. December is their deadline for, for filing, so they need to know where the heck they're running. <laughs> yeah. And if you move that back, you got to move other stuff back because the election people need to have time to make their ballots and right. stuff. But, but but I will say that um, the the judges you know, uh, in San Antonio just throughout this um, process have really – um, expressed a, a want to get this done without delaying the elections because they know they remember 2012 when the elections were delayed and um, that uh, really affected some races, including Ted Cruz's win. Right. Um, so, so they 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 are probably going to try to do as much as they can not to delay the elections, but you know at some point, you know they might have to depending on what yeah. happens. Yeah. We also had a few issues related to immigration uh, on the front burner this week and, and late last week. Uh, you know, we have the sanctuary SB4, the sanctuary cities ban. It's supposed to go into effect Friday. We still don't have a decision in the, in the big legal uh, case against it. What could happen in the, in the coming days? This is another, and it feels like every story now, like it's hard not to think about <laughs> it in the context of we're in the middle of, right, a national, yeah. of a statewide kind of disaster. But 
Uh, Friday, hundreds of new laws are going into effect, and the one that's probably most prominent is SB4, the Sanctuary Cities ban, which uh, the it'll allow police, if they want to, to ask someone about their immigration status if they detain a person, which includes at a traffic stop. Um, and it also uh, requires jails to uh, work with ICE on detainers if they've uh, detained someone and they ICE finds out they're there and mm-hmm. says, you know, we we want to we want that person to hold on to them. It requires the jails to cooperate with that, and it's a very it's a law that's going to have this really big impact on lots of communities around the state. And it just seems like doing that in the middle of you know Houston is going to be even more problematic with Harvey. Um, and so there is a lawsuit that's been in the works for week that's been in the system for weeks and uh, they've been asked they've asked the judge for an injunction so that it won't go into effect on Friday uh, and we're just waiting to hear the judge has not ruled yet so it could be Thursday night we find out that the law is or isn't going Mm -hmm. to affect Friday yeah more broadly it's been it's been interesting to see a lot of these immigration issues get tied up with with Sandy we had you know Houston (laughs) (laughs) still thinking about the the congressional funding debate Um, but we you know we had officials in Houston and the city itself you know I think they sent out a tweet saying you know come to shelters you're not going to be asked for your uh, immigration status Uh, you know the governor has more or less said said as much he's assured people that if they come to shelters throughout the state this is not going to be an issue um has any of that surprised you i mean i i mean i i can understand why they're saying it but there's also been this feeling of it hasn't been enough um you know there were border checkpoints that were operating till almost right before uh harvey made landfall uh and uh that raised concerns about people might not evacuate because they were afraid of interacting with those checkpoints um and i you know you've heard kind of anecdotal stories about people that have not seeked out help or waited longer because they were concerned about their immigration status um so i mean they have been putting out those messages but um it's a question of whether it was too late and whether it actually reached people that Mm -hmm. might have made decisions based on that right brand did you hear any concerns about that when you were out there um i didn't but i think it does kind of highlight how like laws like these you know kind of the rhetoric that it puts out there and kind of like how the, the mindset right. or kind of the, the um, you know, distrust that people have of the government when, um, you know, laws like these become, you know, major priorities during legislative sessions. Yeah. Yeah. There's I think there's no doubt that uh, the rhetoric and the policy has, you know, put people on edge in some of these communities. Um yeah, I mean, you have to figure there are lots of... Even before of, this, this storm. And, and you have that, to figure there are a lot of people who heard about the law and assume it's already in effect and don't even realize that Friday is the day it's supposed to house, actually be in effect. Right, right. One other immigration issue that we've, we're seeing come to a head is the president's decision on, on DACA, which obviously affects a, a lot of people in Texas. Um, you know, he right now he faces a threat from, a legal threat from our Attorney General, Ken Paxton, and from, I think, a number of other attorneys general. Um, have we gotten any any indication which way Trump is, is leaning on this? There's been a few reports that, um, you know, off-the-record sources say that he is going to rescind DACA. Um there's also been, since then, another one saying, well, he hasn't decided yet. It's all been off-the-record anonymous sources, right. as far as I've seen. So yeah. um, it's still unclear. There, there was also um, a Republican consultant who tweeted um, two days ago, right. the day before yeah. Trump's visit, that Trump was going to do it today. When, you know, Basically, on the same day he was visiting Texas for Harvey, he was going to announce DACA was rescinded, which everyone just thought couldn't possibly be true um, and turned out not to be. Right. Um, but uh, September 5th is the deadline that Ken Paxton and a bunch of states gave. The Trump administration said either rescind DACA by then or we're going to sue. Uh, so we're just like with us before, we're just kind of waiting for that decision. Right. And it's been interesting to see the reaction from 
state officials um, who, you know, as recently as a year ago were railing against DACA and to have been a little more muted um, as this deadline nears. Um, you know, they've made clear that, you know, people like Ted Cruz have made clear they, you know, believe any unconstitutional executive action should be overturned, but they haven't been as harshly critical of this policy now that it's in effect and it's before, you know, and basically its fate is up to a Republican uh, president. Well, and before the states that uh, sued or threatened to sue, uh, put out that threat. Uh, Trump had sounded like he was maybe just going to leave it alone. He's, right. He didn't seem like he really wanted to touch uh, DACA. Um, so it seemed like the, the states, at least publicly, it seemed like the states were pushing his hand, and now he's at this point where he may rescind it because sure. to avoid the lawsuit. Great. We got just a few final questions here before we wrap up. Uh, Paul wanted to know, going back to our, our discussion on uh, Harvey, uh, he asked, can you can you all talk about HB 1774, which will affect the lawsuits against insurance companies for storm damage claims? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're still um, we, we did have a story on that recently and we're, we're doing an even uh, more in-depth uh, text planner uh, coming out soon. Um, yeah, that it that that takes effect uh, Friday. That's right. And, and it's kind of hard to know. Um, you know, who, who should really be worried about the new provisions? Um, these, these are provisions that um, basically go into effect that affect, um, that uh, make it harder, or they benefit insurance companies when uh, claims are disputed in court. Um, so one of, the, one of the bigger ones is um, uh, those who, uh, in a lawsuit, are found to have um, paid out their claim too late. Uh, it, it lowers the penalty um, from them. Uh, it's like as much as 40%, so that's, that's one of the big provisions there. Um, but it, it Pro it will probably affect some Texans, but um, not all of them, because a lot of them, um, a lot of those who are flooded in Houston have uh, uh, po policies through the uh, National Flood um, Insurance Program, which is exempted under that law. So that's something to remember. Um, so it's kind of hard to get a count of like who all will be affected by these new provisions. Right, and I believe the governor was. I just saw a tweet. He was asked at this news conference whether he was willing to delay the implementation of that law, and he said mm -hmm. no. There's a lot of uh, misinformation out there about what this what impact this could have. Yeah, I believe uh, Joaquin Castro and a few other prominent Some Democrats sense, yeah. have like called on Abbott to call a special session specifically just to delay this one law, which right. seems completely unlikely, especially in the middle of a hurricane crisis. Uh, but that showed you how much, how kind of um, mm -hmm. prominent this law became in the past few days. Right. And one more question about Harvey from Susanna. How soon will workplaces be fixed so people can earn the money to pay for their non-flood insured homes? Have we gotten any... Any indication of that? <laughs> wow. It's way, I mean, it just depends on, on the extent of the damage and, and where it is. I mean, if it's um, still flooded, like, it. I mean, it's way too soon. It's going to be like a case-by-case -case basis. Um, and some people, um, you know, who are going to shelters in other cities, um, you know, lower-wage workers who, you know, are renters and don't have insurance may end up just living wherever they end up you uh, saw that happen you know with by the tens of thousands um after um katrina um you know people from new orleans um who fled there have now been living in texas for 12 years um and you're probably going to see the same thing uh play out here so i think it's like entirely too soon um t to know the answer to that right a lot of things up in the air right now well, thank you to everyone uh, on facebook for asking uh, your questions um we uh Oh, this is all the time we have. <laughs> if you have any questions or comments, email them to uh, tribcast at texastribune.org. Uh, Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music. Uh, on behalf of Amon, Brandon, Jim, and our producers, Todd and Bobby, this is Patrick. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Ooh,
Are we breaking copyright by playing this over Facebook Live? <laughs> <laughs> Sue Todd.